Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Abuja, Nigeria, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, as the final qualifying round for Africa for the 2018 World Cup is underway this weekend, we speak to fans in Ghana about their expectations. When they play for Ghana or they play, you know, as black stars, they need to put all, you know, money issues and everything aside and play like they are playing for their country. We have your views and comments on the question: Does God mind who wins a football match? And what if both teams are praying for victory? And also, we talk about the English Premier League with young Nigerian striker Isaac Success doing well for Watford. And if you can score in the Premier League, coming on as a substitute, making that step up, it'll be really exciting, you know, to see what he can do. That's coming up later, but let's start with the news that FIFA president Gianni Infantino has proposed expanding the World Cup finals from 32 teams to 48 teams. A decision will be made in January, and a 48-team World Cup would probably mean three or maybe four extra places for Africa, which has five slots at the moment.、Uh, the way it would work is that 16 teams would be seeded, and the other 32 teams would play in a preliminary knockout round in the host nation, meaning that the losers would go home after just one game. So, Solomon, this proposal would make the World Cup longer. It's already one month. More. Slots for Africa, definitely, but it would be very disappointing if your team was knocked out after just one game, especially if you've gone to the World Cup to support your team.、Uh, so, what do you think about this? If you want to have 32 teams at the end of the day, also in the final round, and then you get 16 teams play a game, and then you get knocked out, then it is going to be not a great、uh, deal for、uh, fans to travel all the way just watch a game, and it's all over. Remember, the World Cup is a festival. The World Cup is a huge. Party that brings people all across the world,、mm. but traveling and the cost implications. And、uh, though this would give、uh, a lot of other countries the opportunities to to host the the World Cup, maybe a, a continent might host the the World Cup, or a region、uh, might decide to to host the World Cup. You know, and but we hope to see how FIFA is going to sit down and iron out all the little details. But it's a good idea. People who are used to the World Cup being 32 teams would not agree with it. But that's just the way it is. Sometimes change is good. It's a good way to think outside of the box. Well, very debatable that.、Uh, for me, that's not a winning formula, really. Having a 48-team World Cup with 32 teams going head to head in a preliminary round. But tell us what you think about this on Facebook and on WhatsApp. Are you for or against a 48-team World Cup? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. An interesting proposal, definitely. Well, that is for future World Cups, but the final qualifying round for Africa for the 2018 World Cup in Russia is underway this weekend, with 20 teams placed in five groups of four, and only the group winners qualifying for the finals in Russia. 
Group B is the one that stands out as the toughest with Algeria, Cameroon, Nigeria and Zambia there. So only one of those will go to the World Cup. And meanwhile, Ghana are in an easier looking group with Egypt, Uganda and Congo Brazzaville. The Black Stars have been to the last three editions of the World Cup, reaching the quarterfinals in 2010, where a Luis Suarez handball on the line denied them a semi-final place. They went out at the group stage last time in Brazil, and there were serious issues with the team there, with Ghana's government sending $3 million in cash by plane to Brazil to pay the appearance fees owed to the players, who were quite clearly not in the right frame of mind. So can Ghana qualify again? Erasmus Kwao in Accra has been speaking to Ghana fans there. Yes, I believe we will qualify. Yes, because with all um, with the teams or with the countries in our group, yes, the only tough one I think will be Egypt. But even them, knowing that uh, most of our players are international players, they can take them. Yes. They have to think more of their country as a whole and not themselves. Because if you have the country at heart, then you do everything to move the country forward. But if they start thinking about themselves, as in they being selfish, then it will go against us. Uh, I think we have a bright chance of qualifying if we continue what we did for the, past, for the two World Cups that we participated. If we do that again, we can get there. What are players? Do you think they are focused and de- determined enough? Yes, the players for now, I think they've put that money, money issue behind them. They themselves are calling for Ghanaians to support them. Personally, I think we haven't been our best. I mean, comparing uh, our now and our before, as in the build-up towards 2014. So, obviously, yes, realistic chances comparing 2014 and today, the chances are not as bright as it used to be. My only hope would be that our opponents will also not have equally what good chances or bright chances then we'll probably sail through honestly i think we have a we have a good team i think we still have a solid team i mean that's the team that took us to you know south africa and made us proud and everything unfortunately the last world cup was pretty bad for us but i still think this team can win it's just you know we won't admit it but support is very important i think they don't have the support of the Ghanaians because of what happened the last time but i think you know once they're able to go past this qualifier stage and that depends a lot on the game that's coming up you know once we go past that stage i think you know they'll begin to get the confidence of Ghanaians and hopefully they can do i think the boys the boys can do it you know they are determined i mean somebody like andrea you i think is very very determined and can move ghana and asamwajan is also still very strong so i think the boys can do it they just need the support of Ghanaians, basically. You know, support has been a key issue. A lot of people think the Blasters are no longer getting the support, especially after the 2014 FIFA World Cup. What do you think the boys have to do to be able to garner that confidence and support from Ghanaians again? When they play for Ghana or they play, you know, as black stars, they need to put all, you know, money issues and everything aside and play like they're playing for their country. It's like, you know, being there in itself is a privilege because most of them wouldn't even be on the world stage, you know, not for that platform. So I, I think, you know, once they are there, they should put all monies aside and everything. I mean, those things, it's important, you know, it's motivation. It should come. But, you know, it's the pride of the nation. That's just it, you know. Well, I would not say that the quality is comparable to the one we had between 2006 and 2010, when we had Asian Sule Ali Mutari, uh, Asamoah playing at, at the top of their game. At that time, you know that 
Essien was one of the best holding midfielders in the entire world. Mutari was one of the best offensive midfielders in the world. Asamuanjan proved to be one of the best strikers on account of his output uh, and scoring ratio, both at the 2006 and the 2010 World Cups. So to that extent, one will not say that this particular team is comparable to that team. However, you know, the team is evolving. New players are coming in. Very fortunately for us, we have a, a, a big crop of young, hugely talented players who are coming up. So over the next two years, I'm sure that they will be able to hit their peak. You know, so by the time we get to Russia in 2018, we should have a team capable of doing as well as the previous ones did. Egypt, any day, is a power in African football. They have the best record in African football as far as Cup of Nations victories is concerned. So there's no way we can, you know, write them off in any competition. But looking at the totality of, you know, all these factors, I believe that Ghana will make it ahead of these other three countries. They actually need time to know each other because everybody has his own way of to know each other. And that is what I call the preparation, to know each other. And it, it makes things easy. The last time I saw the national team play, it was more of an individual performance instead of a, a, a team. So I believe for sure that if uh, our preparation is up to the stage that we want, I don't see any problem why we cannot qualify. There's Ghana fans in Accra speaking to Erasmus Kual. And we'll look back at the opening games in the final stage of World Cup qualifying for Africa on next week's show. Well, sad news this week from Ghana was that former Black Stars coach Fred Osam Duadu died in Accra on Tuesday, aged 78. We had an interview with him on the show in October of last year. While Duadu led Ghana to the 1978 Africa Cup of Nations title, he won the 1993 African Under-20 Championship with Ghana before taking them to the runners-up spot at the World Youth Championship the same year. He was also coach of the Gambia when they won the Africa Under-17 Championship in 2005. So a real coaching legend in African football was Ghana's Fred Osam Duado. In other news, the Under-17 Women's World Cup is being held in Jordan. Cameroon are out at the group stage, but Ghana and Nigeria can still make it to the quarterfinals. Ghana beat the USA 2-1 in their second match, so they have three points from two games. And Nigeria drew 0-0 with England. They have just one point from two games, but are still in with a chance. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download it, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime and access past programmes too in our archive. Also, you can listen to the show on our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com, and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. Follow us on Twitter at planetsportfa. Well, still to come, a look at the race in the English Premier League and a look at Nigerian Isaac Success, who's doing well at Watford. But now we turn to WhatsApp and to Facebook. And on last week's show, we spoke to 1997 African Footballer of the Year, Victor Ikpeba of Nigeria. 
Now, Igpeba talked about Nigeria's current challenges in football and about his faith in Jesus. He said that he always prayed before matches, but that prayers may not actually affect the result of the game. So we asked, "What do you think? Does God mind who wins a football match or any sporting contest?" And what if both teams are praying for victory? And also, away from football, is it helpful to pray about the challenges that we all face in everyday life? On Facebook, Abdu Dem Chelsea from the Gambia says, "Of course, it's necessary to pray to God in anything you're doing. So we have to pray to Him for all we wish to achieve, because without His will, nothing will go your way in this world. Praying is the key," says Abdu. From Malawi, Festen Wailelo James says it's true we need God all the time for His assistance. Onto WhatsApp, and Desmond Tunde Koka in Sierra Leone says, "I honestly don't think God minds who wins or not, but I think He said in His Word that we can call upon Him when needed." By Mata Sanyang is in the Gambia. He says, "I think as a good religious follower, you must pray before doing anything. I'm a Muslim, and I do pray before doing things, whether in football or anything else. It's normal to pray. God knows what is best for whatever you are praying for." Oladipo Morris in Kenya says, "I'm a Christian believer. Whether we pray or not, God still determines the result." But it's always super to be at peace with God. It helps one to grow as an individual and to understand others, because football is in itself an interaction with 23 other people on the pitch and several others who look up to you. Whenever we overlook him, we look for poor alternatives like doping. So the bottom line is, God is the key. Bakari Jaju in the Gambia says yes, it is helpful to pray, and here people do pray for them to win, not only in football but also for success at work. But when two teams pray, in that case, only one will win because it's impossible for both teams to win.、Uh, that's very true,、uh, Bakari. Over to Malawi now, and we heard from C Guazayani, who says, "I believe in prayer. It works. Hence, a need for it, no matter who will win, as long as they all dedicate the game into God's hands." But Ibrahim in Sierra Leone says, "I don't think God cares about the results of sports in general." And Saidu Bar in the Gambia agrees. As a Muslim, says Saidu, we pray to reinforce our spirits. But praying for victory before a game starts has nothing to do with the result, because whatever we're going to have in this world has already been created thousands of years before human creation. In other words, victory was created before that day, and it can never be delayed for a second, nor can it be accelerated for a second. Says Saidu, we pray to put God before anything we are to do, so that we will be protected from the evil of the devil and have a successful end of it. Obina got in touch from Nigeria. As a Christian, says Obina, I believe that prayer is the master key. But prayer without hard work is fruitless because God helps those who help themselves. It's important to pray before and after a match, no matter what the result turns out to be. Victor Ikpeba grew up from a Christian background in Nigeria, and that's why he doesn't neglect the importance of prayer. 
Saini Sanyang in the Gambia says, Yes, God says if you're in need of help, you should ask for help, and he will help you in abundance. Sylvester, also in the Gambia, says, Yes, God does mind everything that we do. Furthermore, we do need to always give God the first fruits of our time. And lastly, we do need to invite him as the final results are often not what we want at the end of the game, but we do need his grace to accept defeat. To Cameroon now, and Donald says it's necessary to pray before anything you do, not just a football match. But at times the outcome of your prayer doesn't necessarily reflect what you ask God for. But according to me, prayer is the key to every success, says Donald. And finally, Gamo, a Cameroonian who's been studying in South Korea but is now back in the USA, says prayer is important before and after matches and should be applicable in our everyday life. God works in ways we don't understand, and if your team wins or loses, we should still be thankful. We can be thankful for opportunities, for good health, and for our experiences. Being patient, positive, and always showing gratitude for me is the way of life, and that's what prayer does. Well, thanks so much for all of those views. And, uh, well, Solomon, there was a good point there about what happens when both sides pray to win, uh, when there can only be one winner. And yet uh, many of our correspondents agree that it is right to pray before a game. So what do you think God wants us to pray for in that context before a game? Steve, it is important to pray before a game, but the big question is, so what does God want us to pray for? Before you play a game, definitely, you you first want to pray uh, for protection. Football is a very physical game, so you want to pray for protection uh, for yourself and also for your opponent. You know, sometimes we put a lot more emphasis on, on winning and losing. I know we, we love to win. You get a good feeling when you win. Uh, you don't get a good feeling when you lose. Uh, winning inspires uh, people, uh, a nation, uh, you know. But, but praying the, to, to win the game, uh, definitely for me, I think it is something that you desire. But what if it doesn't happen? Uh, what if you end up in the losing side? Uh, what are you going to think about? Are you going to think you're not good enough? Are you going to be angry with yourself, be angry with everybody? The fans are angry with you. Uh, that's not what football is all about. You gave it your best shot. And uh, some comments suggested that God is not interested in the result of a game. Uh, so then, Solomon, why do you think that God wants us to pray to him? Well, is God not interested in, in the result of a game? Uh, sort of yes or no for me. Because at the end of the day, you work hard and, and you play well. You follow your coach's uh, you know, instructions and you win a game. Obviously, it shows a whole lot about the character of God, that God is a God who desires that we work hard. God is a God who desires that we obey him, desires that we obey his principles in life, in everything that we do. Just like Oladipo Morris uh, in Kenya said, you know, he, uh, being a Christian himself and myself a Christian, he said, I'm a believer. Whether we pray or not, God still determines the result. But it's always super to be at peace with God. So the, the peace needs to come there because there's a peace that comes through Jesus that you don't get that kind of peace anywhere. Sometimes you see people losing a game and they become so frustrated. I've seen fans, just football fans who supports a club or, or a country and they, their country or club loses a game and for the next one week they're depressed and frustrated with everybody, with their family, with their wives, with their business. Uh, you cannot live that kind of way and that's what Jesus brings brings into your life. He brings that peace. He, he brings also that appreciation of beauty. 
and however the result pans out, you appreciate it and you just celebrate it. There's just no way we can continue to feel that football is uh, is between life and death. So prayer is very important, but what we pray for is more important. Well, thanks very much, Solomon. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And let's go to the English Premier League now. There are no games this weekend, so we can catch up with the situation so far. And Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Stuart, let's start with Watford. We talked a lot about Odion Igalo last season. They've signed another Nigerian striker, Isaac Success, who scored in the 2-2 draw with Bournemouth last weekend. Uh, Yes, indeed. And this was his fifth appearance off the bench for Watford, and he's got a goal. An interesting connection between him and Igalo is that they were both at Granada. I don't think they actually played in the team together, but they were certainly there at the same time. And, of course, um, success, remarkably, is only 20, despite having been at Granada for three years. So he's a 20-year-old with the world at his feet. And if you can score in the Premier League, coming on as a substitute, making that step up, it'll be really exciting you know, to see what he can do. And, of course, having another Nigerian in Egalo alongside him, perhaps as a mentor, it's a great position for him to be. And it'll be interesting just to see what he can achieve there. Sure. Now, Igalo hasn't been scoring goals recently like he did in the first half of last season. So what are your thoughts on him and indeed Watford in general this season? Well, Watford surprised a lot of people by changing their manager after a successful season uh, last year. And they've now got Walter Mazzari, who's got a great track record, Inter Milan, Napoli, Sampdoria, etc. But absolutely no experience in the Premiership. So I think it will take him a while to find his feet. Gallo, again, you can't expect to keep on scoring at the rate that he has. Every striker goes through a period when you just don't find the net. Um, he's scored one in seven games, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him getting into double figures before the end of the season. And uh, I don't think we should worry too much about the fact that he's not scoring as prolifically as he was before. I think it always becomes difficult when defenders get to know you and you've been marked more tightly. But I'm sure he'll have a great season and make a great contribution to the club. Yes, hope so. And going back to Isaac's success, Watford paid a club record fee of $16 million for him. Uh, a goodbye, do you think? Well, I think that's an awful lot of money for somebody you know, who's only played 49 games in Spain, scored seven goals, but he's only 20. Uh, you sometimes have to take a punt on seeing how somebody will develop. You know, they're not buying an established star. They're buying a prospect to the future. And time alone will tell whether it's the buy of the season or whether they may have overvalued him. Well, another African who broke the club record fee was the Algerian Islam Slimani at Leicester. And Slimani's made an impact in the Premier League and also in the UEFA Champions League already. Uh, yes, he's uh, scored three goals for Leicester, all of them headers, including that vital one in the uh, Champions League against Porto, which I'm sure he enjoyed scoring, given that he had spent five years in Portugal playing for Sporting, the great rivals of uh, Porto. Now... Leicester, of course, have struggled a bit this season, which is probably not that surprising. You couldn't really expect them to go out and do what they did last year. 
they're sort of mid-table at the moment, and I think they've really lost more league games or as many league games as they did all of last season. But they've done well in their two Champions League games. And uh, Slimani is the main new player they've brought in, and of course the only player they've lost is Nagolo Kante, uh, who's gone to Chelsea. You know, there was speculation that uh, Jimmy Vardy and Rian Mares might also leave, but they've both stayed. I think it will be a tough season for Leicester because of the high expectations. I would expect them to be uh, certainly towards the top of the table by the season's end. And, of course, they've made a very good start in the Champions League with uh, two wins out of two. And, uh, you know, for people who like this kind of thing, one of the goals that Slamani scored saw Christian folks crossing for Islam Slamani. A bit of um, interfaith cooperation there, you might say, Steve. <laughs> Indeed. And to Stuart, it's an international break this weekend. So what's your assessment of the English Premier League race so far, especially with Manchester City dropping their first points of the season, losing to Tottenham last weekend? Yes, Manchester City starting with six wins out of six and then losing at Tottenham. But of course, don't forget that Tottenham led the table for a certain amount of time last year and finished third. So they're a very good side. They are, in fact, also unbeaten the season. So it wasn't that big a surprise, you might say, that um, Manchester City, if they were going to lose, uh, Tottenham would be one of the places you might expect them to lose and a tough away game. But again, it's early in the season and I think that the reaction of Pep Guardiola was quite sensible to say, look, uh, it's going to take time to build the team I want, two to three seasons, anything that we achieve this season will be a bonus. And you know, I certainly didn't think that they would start by winning uh, six out of six because Guardiola, for all his uh, talent and experience, is new to the Premiership. And it will take a while for him to work out how things operate there. And if you're just looking at the other teams, Liverpool have probably done better than uh, most people expected with uh, you know five wins in their first seven. Arsenal doing well, you know, getting a late goal to win at Burnley, what the kind of things that good teams do. You know, could this be Arsene Wenger's? Um, it's, you know, he's just finished 20 years, completed 20 years as manager of Arsenal. And uh, is this going to be the year when he gets the league championship again? Well, that's a good question. Uh, let's have a quick look at Manchester United and Chelsea, Stuart. Both have some very good wins this season, but also some disappointing results. Uh, defeats and draws, perhaps, where they should have won. Uh, inconsistency plaguing both teams, really? Well, again, you know, you've got a new manager, a new system, uh, some new players, and it's just going to take time for them to settle into the consistency. And, you know, that is perhaps the advantage that Arsene Wenger has got uh, with a more settled side and Tottenham, no changes of manager, no significant changes of playing style. Um, So I think uh, Chelsea and Manchester United will both probably finish in or just outside the top four, but it's not going to be easy for them to make the adjustments they're making this season. And Leicester surprised everybody winning the Premier League title last year. And now, is the title race more open this season, perhaps, than it has been in quite a while? I think you can't clearly pick a winner at this stage. I mean, I think Manchester City, Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool, you know, even Manchester United or Chelsea could be there. So, yes, I I can see it's been quite an open race. Manchester City probably have the strongest squad, but then, uh, you know, they, they need to get them firing on all cylinders.
Steve, great to see Arsene Wenger reaching 20 years at Arsenal, but I can actually give you the secret. It's Arsene Wenger being a good fit for Arsenal. And this isn't the first time this has happened because Peter Morris managed Peterborough for three years and Stephen Wignall managed Stevenage. How about that? And Steve, I don't know if you noticed that Nathaniel Shaloba, born in Sierra Leone, got his debut for Chelsea at the weekend. He came on for the last two minutes. And now Nathaniel has been at Chelsea for six years. He's had to wait six years to get his first team appearance. He's been out on loan at Watford, Nottingham Forest, Middlesbrough, Burnley and Reading and even in Napoli in Italy. And he's played 88 games on loan for other teams before he got his Chelsea debut. Well, at last, a breakthrough for Nathaniel Chaloba. Thanks a lot to Stuart Weir in the UK. Uh, before I go, a quick word about the 13-year-old Ivorian Karamoko Dembele, who made his debut for Scottish club Celtic's under-20 team on Monday night. Dembele played the final nine minutes of Celtic's game in the Scottish Development League. I saw footage of the match and there were some wonderful attacking runs from the 13-year-old Karamoko Dembele. I'm sure we'll hear more about him in years to come. So that's it for the show for this week. But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, tell us, are you in favour of a 48-team World Cup? FIFA president Gianni Infantino has proposed expanding the World Cup finals to 48 teams from the current 32. It would probably mean three or even four extra places for Africa, which has five slots at the moment. But 16 teams would be seeded and the other 32 would play in a preliminary knockout round meaning that the losers go home after just one game. So are you for or against? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. From me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Solomon Ashams in Nigeria and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.